Psalm chapter number 90, I think uh, most of us will acknowledge the reality that time seems to be passing very quickly. How many of you in here are seniors, just out of curiosity? All right. How many of you seniors struggle to believe that you are already a senior? Yeah. I will just say it does not get better uh, as you get older. It's amazing to see how quickly time passes. For some, time honestly seems as though it is passing more quickly than ever before. I can joke about Jared, it's hard for me to believe that my second daughter is about to be married. Um, I'm not that old. My wife, on the other hand, uh, life has been pretty rough, but I'm teasing. It is hard to believe you say, oh man, you're going to be in trouble today. You got that right. Uh, <laughs> My life is passing very quickly right now. Anyway, when you see how quickly life passes, there becomes a point in our lives where we have to approach life with a sense of purpose. And so this morning, I want to speak to you on that topic, a life with purpose, and and what is that kind of a life going to look like? Life, we know, does not change literally its pace. It still is continuing on at the same pace that it ever has before, but it seems in many ways as though our lives are going at what we might even describe as an alarming pace. I recently read an article that was entitled, Living on the Ragged Edge, Christian Faithfulness in a Time Famine. It was actually a great article. And the author made an excellent argument, and this was what he said, there's no time famine. I'll talk more about that here in a moment, but he pointed to the uh, problem of busyness, and this was how he described it. He said, it's something that no one claims to want, but few appear to escape. Pretty accurate. Say, well, you know, I wish I wasn't as busy as I am, but you are. Well, I wish I didn't have all these assignments due this week, and you're starting to get right into the, the throes of a semester. Some of you freshmen, when you got here, you were handed a sheet of paper that they talk called a syllabus, and you're like, what in the world is that? Okay. Hopefully, by your second semester, you're figuring out what that is. It's got some important dates on it that you really need to pay a lot of attention to. And, and if you don't, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was due this week. Uh, Some of you have perhaps hoped that a professor would say, well, it's okay, you don't have to worry about this assignment this week because I know it was really busy week. I hope there are no professors like that. I I really do. I taught for uh, many years in a a high school, and uh, I didn't do curves, I didn't change assignments, and I didn't do extra credit. It was just life. And uh, you might as well figure it out. And it's like, well, we had a basketball game that night. Stinks to be you. Uh, you know, I, I really had very little sympathy on that. I, I was so cool and or cruel one time they asked me to put a curve on a test and, and I walked by and drew a curve on their test. That was it. That's life. And, and it would be nice to be able to say, well, I, I've had an extremely busy week and so therefore maybe I don't have to. Listen, when you men get out into the ministry, you're going to have busy weeks. You're going to have times when people call you in the middle of the night, and guess what? Sunday still comes. 
It doesn't matter what has happened during the course of the week. Those services are still going to be there. That still is going to be a reality that you're going to have to be able to manage. Busyness is something that no one claims to want, but very few seem to be able to escape. But I also believe that in many ways, the problem of busyness is rooted a lot deeper than we think. For example, most of the time we'll get up and we'll say, well, it's just a matter of time management or it's just a matter of priorities. And both of which admittedly are contributing factors, but you may properly prioritize your life and practice sound time management. Guess what? You're still going to be busy. It doesn't just take away busyness. And so you still have to face this reality. And I think it's a lot deeper than oftentimes we want to think. It's kind of like, well, you just need to learn to manage your time. And in some cases, that is the case. But in other cases, I think there are bigger problems. For example, I would say that culture has adversely affected us and molded us in ways we don't even begin to comprehend. Think about how technology has influenced your life. We were driving uh, down here this morning, and I was thinking about that. And uh, I remember I had, when I got a computer, my, my first computer, and it, I mean, it was really something special. It was unique in our home. It was the first computer that had windows on it. Window, why are you laughing? Okay, Some of you are like, what? What did you even use before that? Don't even ask that question, okay? <clears throat> but Windows. And then it had this really cool thing. It was a new feature in computers. They called them CD-ROMs. Outdated, right? What would you do with that kind of a computer now? Nothing more than throw it away. Think about how technology has enabled us to do more with fewer resources and to do so in faster time. Look at what your phones are capable of doing. Your phones today are more capable than most computers used to be. It's staggering to think about. So then, why is it that we have more to do than ever before? If we have all of the technology to to be able to do more faster, then why aren't we getting it done? Why are we, in essence, doing things that are in faster time, but yet we are still spinning our wheels and still struggling to get things accomplished? Psalm 90 is a psalm that has been attributed to Moses. It's a psalm of contrast in which the transience of man is seen in light of God's divine wrath. As you read through the psalm, it appears as though there has been an extended period of adversity, and my opinion is probably a reference back to Israel's wandering in the wilderness. The backdrop against which all of our transience is viewed is the eternality of God. I want you to notice Psalm chapter number 90, verse 2. We're going to our text will mainly be verse 12, but verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, notice this statement, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. This isn't one of the points of my outline, but let's at least begin with a premise that's going to simply say this, he's God, I'm not. Okay? 
recognize and develop a, a high view of God because your view of God is going to directly shape how you choose to live. If you've got a low view of God, then you're naturally going to act as though God is non-existent. You're going to act as though God is uh, indifferent, perhaps, towards your life. All that stems from an unbiblical view of God. But when you get a biblical view of God and you understand who he is and what he is and all that he has done, it will begin to shape your life and it's going to begin to mold you and say, okay, listen, this is how I need to think. Well, I feel this way. No, it doesn't matter how I feel because this is what I know to be true about God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Drop down to verse number four, and it says, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. You and I cannot comprehend eternity. We cannot comprehend a God that, that does not have a beginning. Everything to us has a beginning. We struggle to comprehend something that doesn't have an end, but we really struggle to think that it didn't have a beginning. So when we think of time, we have to understand God exists in a realm that is outside of that. He created time. So he exists in a realm outside. Therefore, he's not bound by time. He's not bound by our schedules. He's not limited by time. God created time. So now recognizing all of that, the psalmist goes on, verse 9, and he says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, or seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore or eighty years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. How long do you have on this earth? Well, we don't know. Psalmist takes two numbers and says, okay, 70, maybe 80 years, all right, well, when it's all said and done, what difference does it make? It's a, a mere dot on the scope of a radar of all of eternity, and when it's all said and done, you're going to be dead and you're going to fly away. Well, that's a great encouraging message, is it not? Yeah. Well, let's just, uh, yeah, let's go do something, because what does it matter? Well, that's not the point that we're going to conclude from. Continue the text, verse number uh, 11. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Now notice verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Here's what I want you to note this morning. The brevity and the uncertainty of life is intended to impact how I live today. The brevity and the uncertainty of life, we've experienced both. It's hard to believe that life has passed as quickly as it has, and it is quite uncertain. So the brevity and the uncertainty of life is intended to impact how I live today. As believers, it is imperative that we develop a life with purpose, and I want to give you four characteristics of what that kind of a life is going to look like. The list that I'll give you this morning is not intended at all uh, as being exhausted. Number one, I wanted to understand that a life of purpose is a life that recognizes the value of time. It recognizes the value of time. Time 
for us as believers is a gift that has been given to us from God. Why? Why did God give us this time? Did he give it to us so we can just have fun and and all of that? No, there's a, a much bigger purpose in that, and we'll see this in a moment as well. But he's given us this time to bring glory to him. Go all the way back in your minds into the book of Genesis when God brought the worlds into existence. When God did so, he created time. He gave us the sun and the moon to, that regulate, gave us seasons, things like this. He created time. He appointed man a certain number of days, and he has given us seasons and so forth. He's chosen to place mankind in this environment that he created that is regulated by time. You agree? Good. When God created the worlds, he looked at everything, and what did he conclude about his creation? It's good. At the very end, he says it's very good. That means everything God created, including time, was good. Did it need improvement? No. It couldn't have, or it wouldn't be good. All gifts, including time, has been given to us by God and therefore have to be consistent with God's nature. God can't do something that is inconsistent with his nature. If he did, he could not be God. James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, or is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. He doesn't change, neither shadow of turning. God is the same today as he was thousands of years ago. We struggle to comprehend that. Everything about our lives changes. Our appearance changes, our age changes, our hair color changes, our size changes. Everything changes, but not God. He is the same God to Moses as he is to me. He will be the same for all of eternity. There's not even a shadow of turning, and the implication is a, a shadow that would be cast just from simply turning a shoulder. None of that is true about God. So God has created time. Everything that God has done when he created it, all of it is said to be good. God can't change. So did God give you sufficient time? He had to have. If he didn't, there would be a problem with God. God has given us sufficient time to complete what God would have us to complete. That means it's not right then for me to say, well, I just don't have enough time. You do. It's not right for me to say, well, I just need a little bit more time to do that. God has designed us to function within time parameters. These parameters are such that he designed. They're the parameters that he established. 
So the problem then of insufficient time is an issue that really reflects more of a problem of mismanagement and improper priorities. But until you come to understand and recognize the value of time, I would dare say you'll probably never embrace the importance of today. Until you understand the value of time, you will not live with purpose. You're going to just pass it away. Whatever happens, happens. I got four years. I'll graduate with whatever I graduate with. Whatever happens, happens. If that's your approach to life, you're in trouble. Redirect now, okay? It's not too late to redirect. But the last thing we need as individuals entering the ministry, whatever happens, happens. If, if that's how you approach your week and week week in and week out in ministry, you are, are going to struggle to the nth degree. And it, it's, it's not an easy thing at all to, to try to balance the struggles and the demands. But I have to recognize that there is value to the time. Number two, I also have to recognize the purpose of time. Why does God have us here and what is it that God is doing? I would suggest that often we approach life with a wrong purpose. For example, many people view jobs as a means to earn a living. To most individuals, the job is the means by which I get the money to purchase what I want. If I want more things, I work more hours. If I can't afford the things I want, I get a job with better pay, and now I can afford the things that I want. That doesn't work either, but just, that's, just humor me for the illustration. What I see in most Christians' lives is that we compartmentalize our lives. I have a tendency to do the same thing. So I've got different parts of my life for which I'm responsible. It might be ministry, it might be work, it might be family, it might be a host of other things. And we compartmentalize our lives. You've got the same things, our compartments may be different. But the problem is that church and religion are viewed as though those are just parts to that pie. The average Christian approaches life this way. I can do whatever I want Monday through Saturday as long as I show up to church on Sunday because that's another component of my life. And that just is what I have to do on Sunday. And I have to because if I don't, the preacher's going to call me wondering where in the world I was and I don't want that pressure because it's my life and so I'm just going to show up. We compartmentalize our lives. All of those mindsets miss the real purpose for which we have been created. They miss the whole purpose for which we have been redeemed. The Bible tells us that everything we do is to glorify Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So why are you here? I'm here because my mom and dad made me be here. It's possible. I'm here because God's called me into the ministry. I'm here because I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing and, and just wanted to get some Bible in the process. All of those things can be good things. 
But why are you really here? You ought to really be here to glorify God. When you approach your school that way, your perspective on things is going to change. Why am I doing this assignment? Because my professor's making me. And you have no idea how hard my professor is. <laughs> Mr. Hankey's class? He can't be the hardest one. There's no way. Uh, I went to school with him. There's no way he can be the hardest. Mr. Love, I know his brother. He might be one of the toughest ones. I don't know. Uh, you look and see, why are we here? If we've lost sight of things and we begin to say, all right, I'll, this is just another piece to my life. No, this is why you're here to glorify God. So then everything I do needs to be conducted in a way that is going to bring glory to God. Unfortunately, many people have never embraced the reason God has them here. And so they struggle through life. They struggle as though they have very little sense of purpose and, and very little sense of value. And we just kind of wander aimlessly through life and hope whatever happens, happens, and hope it's good and, and whatever. Is that how God wants you to order your life? God has uh, called each one of us to serve him. There's no such thing as a believer who is not to be involved in ministry. You may or may not have the privilege of being paid for it. That's irrelevant. You are as a child of God to serve him. There's a distinct purpose for which you have been called. Yes, there will be different roles, and your roles are going to, they are different now than they're going to be in years to come. They're going to continue to expand. You may expand in some areas and decrease in other areas. That's life, and it's going to constantly change, but it still has to be governed by the reality that God has called me here, and he's called me to live with a specific purpose. So regardless then of the role in which God has you now, let alone the roles that are coming, the role in which God has you now, you have to approach it from the understanding that what I'm going to do must bring glory to him. Whether it's in the simple things of life, such as eating and drinking, or whether it's in the more complex things of life. But until I reach the point in my own life when I recognize the purpose for which I'm here, I'm probably not going to live a life with purpose. Drives me nuts to get behind individuals that seem to be walking with no purpose. I hate it. I really do. Um, I, one of the things that just gripes me to no end is when people have so little purpose in life, they can't even pick up their feet when they walk. Okay? If you're that way, pick up your feet. Just, just do it. It's an easy thing to do. These are some of the basic things of life. You don't have to slide through life. Okay? We don't have to hear your shoes just go across. Just pick up your feet and walk. Toughen up some. All right? It'll be okay. 
But to walk around and just aimlessly walk and shuffle our feet as though, what am I doing here? Well, why are you here? What's your purpose here now? Well, God has called you here. Make the best of it. It's God's will that you be a student, so be a good student. In fact, be a best student you can. That's the purpose for which God's called you here. Now, that role may change, but I cannot tell you how what you're receiving now is so foundational to what you're going to be later on. You'll look back at these professors and realize, hey, they actually knew something. They actually understood something about life that I didn't understand. They were right when they said these things, and they pour their hearts into you. Why? Because that's what God's called them to do. And God's called you to receive that instruction, to listen, but glorify God with your life in every single dimension. So if you were to look at your time, how do you view it? Is your time the means to fulfill just your own desires? Or is your time the means to glorify God? And if God is not the overall priority of your life, then I can assure you that you have never realized the purpose of time. A person who seeks to live a life with purpose is one who has to recognize the value of time. Number three, he, or the purpose of time rather. Number three, he must also recognize not only the value and the purpose of time, but he must also recognize the priority of time. For us to accomplish God's will, we have to learn to prioritize our time. It's been wisely and correctly observed that good is the enemy of best. There are students who will say, it doesn't matter as long as I pass. Whatever, 69 still failing? Yeah, okay. So if your goal is a 70, let me just, from an educational standpoint, tell you, you don't have much margin of error. Okay? How many of you ever shot a rifle? Okay? All right. There you go. Hey, I'm impressed. How many of you could shoot a dime at 200 yards? Yeah. I'm glad to not see any hands. Then we'd have a different message on lying. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of room for error trying to do that. Don't just set your sights for something that passes. Set your sight for the best, whatever that is. It's not the grade that matters. It's prioritizing things. Good is often the enemy of best. Far too often in life we engage in activity that isn't wrong, but isn't best. I'd like to turn to Mark chapter number one to illustrate this. Mark chapter number one. It is easy for us to get sidetracked. Some days you may have where you can get into a zone and study like it's nobody's business. And then there are those other times. I still struggle with this. 
I'll be sitting in my office preparing a message, and there's times where I am zeroed in. And there's times when the wall is a distraction. The birds outside the window. The little squirrel that all of a sudden just ran somewhere, and there I go. We easily get sidetracked. Mark chapter number one, Jesus exemplifies how we maintain these kinds of priorities. We're going to read a text, verse number 29. Forthwith, or immediately, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and in honor immediately they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Now continue on, verse 32. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him, unto Jesus, all that were diseased, them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. It would seem as though this is the right time for ministry, would it not? I mean, I've pastored for a number of years. I've never had the entire city gathered at the church door. Okay, Here are all these people, and they're all gathered at the church door. What do they all have in common? They have in common that they all have needs. They all came to Jesus to have these needs met. Verse 34, he healed many that were sick of divers or various diseases. He cast out many devils, suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. That's an interesting statement. Would you say Jesus had a long day? I think it's fair to say that. Would you say that Jesus was busy? Fair to conclude that. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out, departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. Wow. Most of us would have gone ahead and said, well, I need my rest because yesterday was a busy day. Jesus exemplifies the importance of prayer. Continue the text, verse 36. Simon, they that were with him, followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. They're all here. They're all looking for you. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Notice the end of verse 38, because it illustrates for us what a life with purpose, how it prioritizes things. For therefore came I forth. Jesus was told by his disciples after an extremely busy day and what would appear to be an extremely successful day, everyone's looking for you on the next day. It's time for me 
to go to the next town and preach the gospel there. Why? Because that's why I'm here. You are going to have all sorts of things that are going to threaten to sidetrack you from why you are here. You have to learn to prioritize things and not allow something that is good to take from what is best. We could make the argument that the needs before him were great. And they were. And let me tell you, they will be for you. There will be more needs in the places you minister than you can take care of. You have to understand why you're here. You have to identify that to which God has called you. Jesus exemplifies for us how he did not allow the urgent to deter him from doing God's will. Everybody's here, Lord. Well, I, I, I guess then I, I guess I have to do that. Yeah, people have talked about the tyranny of the urgent, being ruled by the urgent. Um, it's easy to do. It's very difficult to not allow that to happen. Uh, people will talk about, well, just put out whatever fire's hottest or whatever fire's closest to you. Um, great advice, I guess, but what do you do when you've got three fires, all of which have caught your pants on fire? Which one is the most important one? You laugh and say, well, that's not possible. <laughs> you wait. You just wait. And you're, I, I remember professors telling me, you think you're busy now, just wait until you get into the ministry. And I'm like, hey, whatever. I'm working X number of hours. I'm taking a full class load, whatever. I was traveling with music groups, <laughs> whatever. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, they did. They did. We allow oftentimes where we dictate our days and our lives by whatever we deem urgent. But we cannot allow ourselves to be governed by the urgent. We have to stay focused on what it is that God has called us to do. You could further exemplify this in Luke chapter 10. We'll not take the time to look at it, where Mary and Martha are there. Martha is busy serving the Lord. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. I, I can't help having had three daughters in my home just wonder what that was like. Okay? That little cat fight was brewing for quite a while. And as Martha passed and saw Mary, and those of you, especially girls with sisters, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Boy, the looks, the rage inside, it, that had to have been something to the point she actually rebuked the Lord. You know what Jesus said? Mary has chosen that one thing which was needful. One thing. Very difficult to balance our lives down to one thing. If I wish to live with purpose, I must recognize the value of time, 
the purpose of time and the priority of time. Finally, I must also recognize the urgency of time. James describes our life as a mere vapor that appears just for a little while and then it vanishes away. That is not intended as a statement to reflect the significance of life, but it does reflect the brevity of life. It's not saying that your life is insignificant, it's just smoke that goes up in the air. It's saying your life is brief, and it is going to disappear quickly. It's why Proverbs 27 warns us, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. It's been within the last few years that even some that I went to school with have passed on and have already gone home to be with the Lord. They were guys and and girls that I sat in class with that are no longer here. The length of our lives is such that has been determined by God. It may be that Jesus returns. I hope and pray you are ready if he does. It may also be that God calls us home through death. Regardless, our time is limited on this earth and time is quickly passing. Let me give you two concluding passages. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that ye walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Is it possible for me to walk foolishly? Yes. So I cannot walk foolishly. I have to walk wisely. Time does not permit, nor is this message intended to do a contrast between how does a foolish person walk and how does a wise person walk. But it would be good to understand if I'm going to understand that passage. If I don't know how a fool walks, then it does me no good because I don't know what to avoid. If I don't know how a wise person walks, it does me no good because I don't know what to emulate. So don't walk as fools, but walk as those who are wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you have any doubt about the evil nature of our days, get your head out of the sand. We are living in an extremely wicked culture, but guess what? This is the culture to which God's called you to minister. Rather than mourning and moaning and groaning and complaining about it, embrace it and say, hallelujah, this is the time God's called me to minister. Make the most of the opportunity. Redeem the time. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. The Bible says that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Logic simply says, I'm closer to death now than I've ever been. I'm closer to the completion of my salvation at this very moment than I was yesterday. Yesterday was a good day but I'm even closer today. Where is that sense of urgency among the average Christians? Read through Acts, read through the early letters, and they were governed by the belief that Jesus Christ was going to come back in their lifetime. We are 2,000 years closer, and we are more apathetic than ever before. 
It seems to me as though it should be the exact opposite. We don't have much time. But we've got the amount of time that God has determined for us to have. Let's determine then today that we're going to live a life with purpose. That we're going to embrace why God has us here and then choose to live accordingly.